You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. Let me ask you, if you will, please to open your Bible to the second chapter of Galatians, Galatians chapter 2. I want to add my word of welcome to all of you folks who are visitors. We just praise God for you. Uh, let me just say that if you are looking for a church where uh, the word home really describes what's going on, we would love to have you as a part of our church home. A lady in the hospital told me yesterday, she said, Brother Tom, this is the most wonderful family. She said, I- I've been in the hospital a few days, and I want to show you a guest registry book. And uh, one of our church members, in fact, was up there visiting with her, someone who had never met her, but just knew a little bit about her needs. And one of our ladies from our church went by to see her, and I was there, and so she took out this book, and I couldn't believe page after page of the names of people, individuals and families who had been by to visit with her while she was in the hospital. And she used that word, it is really a family. First Southern is really a family. And if you're looking for a church home, whether you're just going to be here for a few months as a college student, or whether your family has just moved to, first, to this area of Oklahoma City, or whether you've been visiting First Southern for many, many months, Well, let me encourage you this morning to be at home in this service, but also at the invitation time, I would encourage you to make this your church home. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. Now, we are studying the book of Galatians in our worship services on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and on Wednesday evenings. The theme, free indeed, how to employ and enjoy your freedom in Christ. A lot of people who apparently do not enjoy the relationship they have with Christ. I'll be honest with you, I have seen some people who were professing Christians, and if I thought that becoming a Christian would make me look like, act like, and have the attitude of those people, I think I'd think twice before I became a Christian. I've already got enough problems without the ones that they seem they have incorporated on their visage and with their behavior. But did you know something? When Christ comes into your life, even though it does not mean that you are free from problems, free from difficulties and times that are distressing, there is something that happens in your heart and it radiates on your face. You can see it in the clarity of your eyes when you are free indeed in Christ. And we're thinking together about how to employ and how to enjoy your freedom in Christ. But now this morning, I want to ask you about the hypocrites in the church. The title of the message this morning, When You Don't Behave Like You Say You Believe. When You Don't Behave Like You Say You Believe. I'm asked all the time about the hypocrites. What about the hypocrites in the church? Preacher, I'm visiting in a home and I'll be sharing the gospel with someone. I'll invite them to come to the church. And they say, oh, I know about churches. I see churches on television. And I know about the church in the small town where I grew up. And I'm sure all churches are like that. Why aren't churches filled with hypocrites? What about the hypocrites, preacher, who are in the church? Now, before we stand together and before we address this issue, let me make two statements by way of introducing the subject this morning. In the first place, let me tell you that the church is not without its measure of hypocrisy. Neither is the world. Now, 
we look out across this congregation this morning, and I believe that every one of us would say that at some time in our life, we have professed to believe something that is beyond the way we are behaving. Our walk and our talk do not come out even. Now, there may be those here who would say, Brother Tom, that's one thing I really watch. I try to steer clear of hypocrisy, but I don't believe there's anyone here who at some point in your life has not professed to believe something that was beyond the way you were behaving at that very moment. Let me say also that many of the people who profess to be believers in Christ and who live lives that are total shams, live lives that are absolute disappointments when it comes to our expectations of what a Christian ought to be, many of those people in reality have never really trusted Christ. Many of those people to whom the world points and they say, well, look, they say they're a Christian and look at the way they behave. Well, many of those folks have never come to know Christ as their Savior. They're not backslidden. They never frontslid, to coin an old phrase. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, it says of a certain group of people, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For had they been of us, they no doubt would have remained with us, but they went out. In other words, they, they have become very lax in their practice of the Christian faith that it might be made manifest that they were not all of us. And if you look at that phrase in the original language of the Scripture, you would discover that the original language gives it this way. They went out from us that it might be made manifest that they are not cut out of the same bolt of material as we. They do not come from the same source as we. And so the very simple truth is that they never knew Jesus as their Savior. Jesus spoke about these people, by the way. He called them on one occasion whited sepulchers. In other words, he said, there's a grave on the ground. But people are not aware of that. As a matter of fact, the road across that grave has become white. Flowers may grow on either side. And as they stand there and converse with one another on the path, they are unaware that underneath their feet and inside the box, there are dead men's bones. And he said there are people like that. They smile and they laugh and they talk and they have a very... Uh, religious appearance, but inside them are dead men's bones. He also said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father is in heaven. He said, In that day, many are going to come to me and they're going to say, Lord, in your name haven't we done many wonderful works and prophesied and even cast out demons. And he said, I'll say to them in that day, Depart from me, workers of iniquity. I never knew you. So you see, to profess something is a little bit different than possessing something. And the Lord admits that, and many of the people who are such disappointments to the world uh, have never really known Jesus as their Savior. But there are hypocrites in the church. The church is not a perfect place. It's a hospital. It's a place where pilgrims like you and me can tell each other where to find bread. It's a place where we can find encouragement. It's not a perfect place. It's not a sanctuary for saints who are absolutely perfect. It's a place where we come and receive encouragement and inspiration and teaching from the Word of God. Now, I've noticed out in the world that the world is certainly not free of hypocrites either. But I don't think that many people let the fact that they're hypocrites in the world keep them from employing people who are in the world. I'm sure there are hypocrites, for instance, in the, in the police profession. I, we have many uh, men who are 
involved in law enforcement right here in this church, and, and they would tell you, why, sure, there are times when, whether it's the judiciary system or the protection system, but you see, the fact that that exists doesn't keep you from calling on them when you need them. I'm sure there are probably some hypocrites in the fire department. I don't know, we have a lot of firemen, several here this morning, but you know, that doesn't keep me from calling the fire department when I have need of it, or maybe in the medical profession. You name the profession. You're always going to be able to find people whose walk and whose talk do not come out even, right? Now, the sad thing for you would be for you to hide behind those kind of people and as a result, not move on in your faith. I know people who will never become part of a church because they know some hypocrites in the church, who will never give their life to Christ because they know some Christians who are hypocrites. Someone said to me one time, Brother Tom, if you're going to hide behind somebody like that, remember, you always have to be smaller than the person behind whom you're going to hide. Ooh, that just caused me to shudder because I didn't want to be smaller than the hypocrites behind whom I was going to hide. And so what we want to do in these next few moments is, is ask a question about the hypocrites. What happens when you don't behave like you say you believe? Now, that is the issue here in the second chapter of Galatians. In the passage of Scripture, we're going to begin reading verse 11. Now, let me tell you that when we stand in a few moments and read this verse of Scripture, Peter is sharing this with the Christians in the churches of Galatia because he is, in essence, setting up a discussion regarding how a person comes to know Jesus. Is it by the things we do or is it by the one in whom we have put our trust? Are we saved by our works? Are we saved by grace through faith? Because you see, in the churches of Galatia, they were moving back to a belief that the way you came to know Christ was by your good works. As a matter of fact, in the Galatian churches, they were almost insistent that a man had to be a Jew first before he could even become a Christian. And the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the churches of Galatia to expose and to explode, to annihilate that thought that you could ever be saved by the good works that you do. So with your Bible in hand, would you stand with me, please? I'm going to begin reading with verse 11. And we're asking the question, what about the hypocrites in the church? What happens when you don't behave like you say you believe? Notice here's what Paul says. When Peter was come to Antioch, and we're not really sure just when Peter made this journey, but remember they were called Christians in Antioch, and, and Antioch was a place where why Paul went from, to uh, go on his first missionary journey. He says, I withstood him, that is Peter, to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, in other words, before James, who was the senior pastor in the church of Jerusalem, sent a group of people to Antioch. Peter, he, well, look at him. He did eat with the Gentiles, but when they showed up, when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself fearing them who were of the circumcision. In other words, fearing the Jews. And the other Jews, and you may have the word there, dissembled. That means the other Jews practiced hypocrisy. In fact, the word in the original language is the root for our word hypocrisy. So the other Jews practiced hypocrisy likewise with him, 
insomuch, and this must have really grieved Paul because Barnabas was the one who took Paul under his wing when he first was a convert, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation, with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they walk not uprightly, now that little phrase there is the theme for this message. When I saw that they walked not uprightly. In the original language, that phrase means this. They didn't walk straight-footed. Or to put it in another fashion, if you have railroad tracks, there are two tracks, and one is supposed to move right along beside the other. It can't stray from the other. And so he says, they did not walk according to the truth of the gospel. They didn't walk along that track. When I saw that, I said to Peter before them all, if you, being a Jew, live after the manner of the Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why do you compel the Gentiles to live as the Jews? He said, when you're here, you live like a Gentile. Now, why do you compel us to live like Jews? That was the question. In other words, he was not behaving as he said he believed. And Paul was calling his hand on that. So what happens when you don't behave? like you say you believe. That's the subject for the message this morning. And Father, our prayer is that your Holy Spirit will just open our eyes, reveal to us the truths of your Word, show us, Heavenly Father, that we are to give an account for ourselves. And Heavenly Father, I pray that this morning you would bring many to this altar who would say, I want to move out of that valley of hypocrisy. I want to, I want to behave as I say I believe. And Father, I pray that no one here would hide behind their disillusionment with some other person who professes to be a Christian, or some other church, or some other group, or some other program, that they would not hide behind that and as a result not make progress in their faith themselves. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you be seated? Keep your Bible open. You see, I am quite confident this morning that there are some who are going to be watching this broadcast on television. And they will be professing Christians, some of them. And they will say, I believe that, preacher. I believe there's a problem with hypocrisy in the church. That's, what, that's what's kept me out of church. I'm, I'm at home on this Sunday morning because I'm disillusioned with the church. And, and uh, I believe you ought to, your, your walk and your talk ought to be the same. But that little channel changer that they have in their hand for some of them, not all of them, but that little channel changer later on in the day or perhaps in the, the night hours is going to be used not to tune into some other broadcast where they'll find help and hope in Christ, but they'll find it tuning into a broadcast that moves them off of the moral center of the Bible. And they'll discover themselves eagerly partaking in something which is sensual and will draw them away to sin. Well, that's exactly what's being talked about. Some will be listening to this broadcast on the radio. And before the day is over, that same hand that reached out and tuned into this broadcast will change that radio and they'll be listening perhaps to music or to, to programming that is not edifying, will not build them up. There's, there's a problem, isn't there? When we don't behave like we say, we believe. And there'll be people here, you're here this morning, and you have professed certain things by the very songs you have sung. By the very scripture you'll read, you, you make certain professions, but is it not true that you struggle to behave like you say you believe? If somebody just nailed you to the wall and said, now look, tell the truth, you would profess to the fact 
that you speak about a devotional life that is far deeper than you actually practice. And you say you believe in stewardship, but the Lord has really not gotten a hold of your heart to the extent that it affects your practice just yet. You say you believe in moral purity, and yet you realize you struggle in those areas. You say that you believe in faithfulness, and yet you struggle in those areas. You say that you, it really bothers you when people gossip, and yet you struggle with the fact that sometimes you gossip, you see. What happens when you don't behave like you say you believe? Now, I believe this morning that this message could be a great encouragement to many people because underneath it all, I think there are many here and many watching or listening who would say, I do have that struggle, I admit to that struggle, but Brother Tom, can you show me how to behave like I believe, at least like I say I believe. So with your Bible in hand, let me ask you to consider several things this morning. First of all, if you're not behaving as you say you believe, it is important for you this morning to make an honest determinations, an honest determination rather, of the factors which have caused you to shift from your beliefs. Honestly, what has caused you to behave differently than you say you believe? Now, look with me, if you will, at the 12th verse because it's one of the most interesting verses in this passage. Here the Apostle Paul says, something strange happened when Peter came to visit with us at Antioch. He showed up alone. And while he was alone, he ate with all the Gentiles. He ate their food, he ate in their manner, and he had a good time with us. Maybe he was referring to that, what they call the love feast, or it was a fellowship meal that they would observe when the church would come together, everybody would bring their food, and then following that, they would observe the Lord's table. But he said Peter had no problem with that. He was a participant. But then he said something happened. Some men showed up from the church in Jerusalem. James, the half-brother of Jesus, was the senior pastor of that church. And so when these men showed up from Jerusalem, Peter pulled away from the Gentile believers. He withdrew. He separated himself because in his heart there was fear of the Jews. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think that Peter knew that it was all right to eat with the Gentiles? I assure you that he did. As a matter of fact, it is on record in the book of Acts that one day while Peter was up on the housetop in the city of Joppa over on the sea, he saw a vision three times. He saw this sheet come down out of heaven. In that sheet were all the kinds of foods that he as a Jew had been forbidden to eat. And the voice came, rise and eat. And Peter said, I can't do that. I'm a Jew. And at the end of each of those revelations, God said to him, what I have called clean, don't you call unclean. And before he got finished, there was a knock at the door. There were Gentiles standing at the door, and they said, Peter, we want you to come to the house of Cornelius. He is a centurion. He is an Italian. He is a Gentile's Gentile, but he is searching for the faith. And you remember that Peter went down there? 
He went to the house of Cornelius. He preached the gospel. He was astounded because Gentiles could come to know Christ as a Savior, and it is on record that before his le he left, he ate with them. Did Peter know it was all right to eat with the Gentiles? You better believe he did. But now he's gone down eating with the Gentiles until some of his Jewish brethren came. And for fear of them, he withdrew himself. He separated. He did not behave as he said he believed. Now, what happens with you? What causes you to shift away? What causes you to talk about a devotional life or a moral life or a life of stewardship or a life of faithfulness, a life of ethic? What, what causes you to speak about a, an ethic, for instance, that is higher than you are living? You need to, to make a serious determination of the factors that are pulling you away. Now, there are two kinds of factors here. So let's look at them. First of all, there is what I want to call the external factor. What are the external factors? These are other people. You see, he said here, when certain came from James, when other men showed up, this is what we might call sometimes peer group pressure or the everybody else is doing it syndrome or I will be the only one who doesn't if I withhold or withdraw or do not participate syndrome. You know, peer group pressure is an awesome thing. I don't believe we realize how awesome it is. As a matter of fact, they tell me that in schools that one of the saddest things that happens, whatever kind of school it is, if a child does not have a parent readily available, that it's so sad because that child's peers become that child's counselors. Let's say the hour before uh, school is out, something happens, maybe there's a fight on the playground or somebody says something's ugly and feelings are hurt, and, and, uh, but that child does not have a readily available parent. And I say this because many of you are struggling with this in your own home because of your schedule and because of what you do and because of where your child goes when school is over. And so uh, that child begins to look, how do I handle this? Well, if that child is simply thrown in a group of other children for a sustained period of time, several more hours, where does that child learn how to handle those problems? From other children. That's called peer group counseling. In other words, you hear how to behave from people your own age who are also struggling with how to behave, you see. And so when we grow up, we grow up with a phenomenal interest in what other people think. Now, this was one of the factors in Peter's life. You see, he was okay until some friends showed up who were, who were, who were going to judge him, he thought. People he wanted to impress. People who were significant to him. People that he knew were close to the head rev at the Jerusalem Baptist Church. And so other people, these are the external factors. But I want you to notice one that I think that is more important, and that is the internal factor. Why did Peter behave differently than he said he believed? Primarily because inside him he had, now listen, a man-fearing spirit. Notice the last part of that verse. He withdrew and separated himself, fearing them who were of the circumcision. 
a man-fearing spirit. You see, it's one thing to have a group of people who say you ought to behave a certain way. It's another thing to, in your heart, respect man more than you respect God. This was Peter's old nemesis. Read the history of his life. Yes, he's the hero on the day of Pentecost, but you've forgotten that he was the zero on the day that he denied the Lord Jesus in the face of a little maid. He had a man-fearing spirit. And you see, that man-fearing spirit has yet to be conquered in Peter's life at this time. As wonderful as Peter is, he still has not allowed the Lord God to conquer that man-fearing spirit. Now, why is it that many people do not behave like they say they believe? Because they have not let God conquer some spirit in their heart. Maybe it is a spirit of immorality. Maybe it is the spirit of criticism. Maybe it is a spirit of unfaithfulness. Maybe it is a spirit of stinginess. Maybe it is a man-fearing spirit, as in the case of Peter here. But there is some territory in your heart. God has not been given that territory. He is, Jesus is not Lord over that territory. And so you do not behave like you say you believe. If you want to really behave like you say you believe, if you want your walk and talk to come out even, if you want people to say about you what he says he is is what he is. If you want that to be said of you, well then, dear friend, you're going to have to let Jesus conquer every area of your life. Every area of your life. You need to make a serious determination of the factors. You need to just ask, why? Don't I live like I say I believe? Just sit down and think about it. Don't just keep going on. Just seriously think about it. All right, secondly, you need to realize that other people are going to be impacted by your behavior. Look at verse 13. The other Jews, that is those who were there in the churches of Galatia, also practiced hypocrisy with Peter. They said, well, this is what Peter's doing. That's what we ought to do. In fact, it became so intense, this pressure, that Barnabas, and Barnabas happened to be one of Paul's heroes. It was Barnabas who took Paul under his wing when nobody else would have anything to do with him. Before he'd even become Paul, his name was Saul, and it was Barnabas who put his spiritual arms around him and said, come on, Saul, I want to help you grow in your faith. But he says, the pressure became so intense that even the son of consolation even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Now, a couple of things I want to mention here, and I don't want to park very long at this particular point. But first of all, your influence is much more public than you think. All right? It is a lot more public than you think. You may think, who knows me? Who cares anything about me? I'm not a leader in the church, you may say. I'm not a leader in my business. I'm just whoever I am, and I just live over there, and I just live a quiet life, and I don't seek to have any influence over anybody. Listen, you have an influence, and it's more public than you think. You may say, I'm the least popular guy in the dorm. You may say, I'm the guy that when they go to McDonald's, they say, you don't deserve a break today. I have, you know, I have no... Listen, your influence is a lot more public than you think. I remember taking a young man out on the golf course in Dallas, Texas. And um, there were just two of us, and so they wanted to keep things moving, and they paired us up with another couple of guys that were waiting to play golf. And I'm telling you, 
one of the guys, one of those guys, had the most profane language. He, he was so embarrassing, he could not... He couldn't do a thing without uttering an oath. He used the Lord's name in vain. He was vile. He was just nasty in the way that he talked. And this went on, you know, hole after hole. Finally, I said, I said, oh, just trying to find some common ground with this creep. I said, what do you do? And he, he told me what he did and let out another string of oaths. And then he asked me, he said, what do you do? And I was waiting for that. I said... I said, well, I'm a pastor over here. Oh, he said. And then he told me what a prominent deacon he was in one of the most prominent churches in the country and how, how close he was to his pastor. The young man who was playing golf with me leaned over in the golf cart and said, Brother Tom, I think there's a lesson here someplace if we'll just watch real carefully. You know what happened? Two weeks later, I got a letter from my friend. In it was a, a, a bulletin sent out very, by a very prominent religious institution. And on the front page of that bulletin was a picture of this man, our golfing friend with the foul mouth. He was giving a set of his pastor's tapes to this wonderful institution. And they were standing on the front and beaming and at the bottom of the, of the letter, he wrote, I believe we watched long enough. Here's the lesson. Now, here was a man who had no idea that he would have any influence at all on two people whom he had never met. I want to tell you, your influence is more public than you think it is. Somebody is watching you. Secondly, let me tell you this. Your influence is more profound than you think it is. You know, I cannot tell you how many times as I sit with couples or with individuals and we are walking through deep, deep waters in marriage counseling, for instance, and one or the other of those family members will say, this was my daddy's problem or this was my granddaddy's problem or this is what my mother did. And those people would never have had, never wanted to think that their influence was as profound as it was. Even Barnabas, think of it, said Paul, even Barnabas, my compatriot, my, why, I look to him, he was my teacher. Even Barnabas was touched by your hypocrisy, Peter. That's what Paul is saying. You don't realize how profound is the impact of your life. I wonder how many times churches get together, for instance, and they pray for revival, and they agonize for revival, and they beseech heaven for revival, and they wonder as they stand at the crossroads, why doesn't God send revival? And the answer is that in that group, who are praying, they're probably those who would say, if they were to be perfectly honest, well, I am doing some things that I know God would not approve. 
And that little secret sin, your walk and talk not coming out even, your behavior not being the same as what you say your beliefs are, become like a malignancy in the body of Christ. And one wonders why can't the body of Christ move forward like a mighty army? It is because within there is a withering of the sinew. People who do not behave like they say they believe. Well, what else, Brother Tom? You said I need to really think about why I'm doing this, and secondly, I need to consider the impact of this. What else? All right, here's the final thing. You need to accept the God-given warnings that come your way and repent of your hypocrisy. If you've got it in your life, if there's any area of your life where you would say, I know, I'm, here's what I say I believe, but I'm not behaving that way. Well, there is release. I mean, there is victory. There's victory for you this morning. If you will accept the God-given warnings and then repent of your hypocrisy. Now, nobody likes to believe that they are a hypocrite. Nobody. I mean, can you imagine how it makes the hair stand up on the back of your neck? You hypocrite. Nobody would want to, want to be that way. That very word, if you look at it originally, is a very interesting word because... It refers to the, to the practice of the, the Greeks in their drama, their theater. They would put on a mask, and the mask might have a big smile or it might have a big frown painted on the mask. And even though the person on the inside might have a broken heart, the external appearance was of a smile. Or even though the person on the inside might have been lighthearted and happy, on the outside there was this frown. The appearance was different than the reality. And you say this morning... I've got some people fooled. I know I don't have God fooled, but the truth of the matter is the appearance is different than the reality. You need to accept the fact that God is going to give you messengers. Now, how's he going to deal with that? Well, let's look, because I believe he may be doing that in the lives of some this morning. Let's look at that. Verse 14, when I saw that they walked not uprightly, in other words, they did not walk straight-footedly, their walk and talk were not coming out even, according to the truth of the gospel... Notice this, I said unto Peter before them all. First of all, let me just say to you that if you are living with some area of hypocrisy in your life, God is going to confront you with that. And I believe there's some here this morning who are clearly aware that you have been confronted with your hypocrisy. Maybe a little child has come to you and said, Daddy, uh, we... We go to church and we learn about the body being the temple of the Holy Spirit. Why do you drink that? Or why do you smoke that? See, somebody's going to confront you. It might be out of the mouth of babes. Or it might be this preacher, and you'd say, that's just preacher talk. But you will be confronted. You will be confronted. And Peter said, uh, Paul said, I had to stand before them all and say, Peter, we cannot have it this way. There is confrontation. But notice this, there's also a challenge, a challenge. He said, I, I want to ask you a question. You're a Jew. You live like Gentiles when you're with the Gentiles. Why do you request that these Gentiles live like you? Why do you demand it? Now let's read the question as he gave it. If you, being a Jew, live after the manner of Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why do you compel the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Why are you putting upon us a requirement God has not put upon us? And by the way, that's a pretty good question. 
you will be challenged. And I wonder if there's some people who are being challenged this very morning. God is speaking to your heart and saying, why? Why do you have such demands, for instance, of your children and you do not live that same way? <laughs> we say, in our home, whatever you do, don't drink out of the containers. You know, just directly drink out of the containers, the milk carton or the water carton, the water bottle. You know, I mean, don't do that, we say. Don't do that in our house. We say that. But what the kids don't know is, and this is, got, is in Emily Post, that, that that rule is only enforced up to 10 o'clock or after the kids go to bed. Uh, you know, th then it's okay, just walk in the middle of the night, say, oh, that's orange juice, you know, or water or whatever. Ooh, I remember the time that uh, I was drinking out of the container and all of a sudden the light came on, not the refrigerator light, but the kitchen light came on. And cold water went spilling down the front of my pajamas and there was a child over the side. Daddy. You see, they had not read Emily Post and didn't know that 10 o'clock was the cutoff. For that particular protocol you'll be challenged you will be challenged God may be challenging some of you this morning and saying listen who do you think you are you say you believe this why don't you behave that way confronted challenged and then convicted and I wonder this morning you, you say was Peter convicted isn't it interesting that Peter had no response he didn't say, and Peter's response to me was, I have a reason for doing this. Peter was mute before Paul on this issue. He was under conviction. No response. And I wonder if there are not those here this morning who would say, I stand convicted. I am convicted. Well, what do you do? You repent. You say, Lord, it is obvious that there's a territory in my life. I have not given it over to you. I am not walking straight-footedly. My walk and talk are not coming out even. I am not behaving as I say I believe. And I want to acknowledge your lordship in this area. You'll be confronted. You'll be challenged. You'll be convicted. But will you repent? Will you repent? You say, Brother Tom... There's a lot of it in the church, that's right. But now, could you just draw a circle around yourself and ask yourself about yourself? But others, forget about others right now. What about you? Where do you stand? Do your walk and talk come out even? Do you behave as you say you believe? Just a few moments, we're going to be standing together. I'd like for us to sing that hymn of invitation. It says, all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I'll ever love and trust him and in his presence daily live. I surrender all. And this altar is open. There'll be counselors here. And I believe that along with those who'll be coming and kneeling and praying and saying, Lord, I want to surrender this area of my life to you. You know it's an area where I've not let you be, Lord. I believe there are others who want to come and say, you know... <clears throat> I need to be, we need to be a part of this church family. <laughs> what a wonderful thing for you to come and just say to one of these counselors, look, I want to join this church. We want to plant our lives here. Whether you're a student, or whether you're single, whether you're a family, a 
God's spoken to your heart about becoming a part of this church, this is your invitation. If you have made that decision in recent days and we've not introduced you to our church family, I'm going to ask you to come on the very first word of the invitation and you be seated right over here to my left and to your right in that area that's designated for new members and we want to introduce you to your new church home. There are others of you perhaps who would say this morning, look, I have received Christ by faith as my Savior. I've not openly confessed Him through the symbol of baptism. I need to do that. And you'd want to come and say to a counselor, look, I want to follow through Christ as my Lord. I want to follow the Lord's command to be baptized. And I believe that there are some here this morning who perhaps would have to say, preacher, you're right. I have looked at other people so long. I have let them keep me from coming to Christ. But I realize that only Jesus can save me. And he is the only one to whom I need to look. And it is Jesus who died on the cross and rose from the grave, and he paid for my sins. You don't need to say all of this, but if you just come this morning and say to the counselor, I want to trust Christ. You see, this morning all of your sins will be forgiven. You can leave here this morning knowing that you have eternal life. You can know that he's washed you clean and that forever you'll be with him in heaven. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And I would encourage you to come and just say to a counselor, I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. I'm going to pray. The moment I say amen, we're going to stand. I'd like for us all to sing this hymn of invitation. But would you do this as a part of standing? Those of you, everyone to whom the Lord has spoken this morning in terms of making a decision for him, would you as a very part of standing just step to the aisle, make your way forward and join the others who will be coming? Father, I pray your Holy Spirit moving now in this place will bring many to this altar to say yes to you. Those to pray and say, I want to repent of my hypocrisy. Others who would say, I want Jesus to be Lord over this area where I've struggled for so long. Still others to be a part of this church and others yet to say, I want to be a part of the family of God. I want to trust in Jesus this morning. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's begin singing. That's it. Just step to the aisle.